I'm too weak, too slow, too big. I ate too much for breakfast. Got a headache. It's raining. My dog is sick. I can't right now. I'm not inspired. It makes me smell bad. I'm allergic to stuff. I'm fat. I'm thin. It's too hot. I'm not right. I've got shin splints. Headache. I'm distracted. I'm exerting myself too much. I'd love to really, but I can't. I just can't. My favorite show is on. I got a case of the Mondays, the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays. I don't want to do this. I'm gonna do something else. After New Year's. Next week. I might make a mistake. I got homework. Well, I feel bloated. I have gas. I got a hot date. My coach hates me. Mom won't let me. I bruise easily. It's too dark. It's too cold. My blister hurts. This is dangerous. <sighs> Sorry, I don't have a bike. I didn't get enough sleep. My tummy hurts. It's not in my jeans. I don't want to look all tired out. I need a better coach. I don't like getting tackled. I have a stomach ache. I'm not the athletic type. I want to get sweaty. I have better things to do. I don't want to slow you down. I have to do this? As soon as I get a promotion. I think I'll sit this one out. And my feet hurt. Good morning. Hope you could hear some of that. My name is Tim Rogers, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to Grace Point Church. Glad you're here. We are uh, into the, the third part of a series called Just Did It. Um, this uh, clip that you just saw is uh, one of Nike's commercials that is a reminder for all of those who like to buy Nike stuff to just get out there and do it. No excuses, right? No excuses. Get out there and do it. Hey, it's a Monday, I can't do it. Tuesday, Wednesday, I can't do it, I can't do it. And in, in this series called Just Did It, we've, we've switched up Nike's marketing campaign um, and said, listen, one of the realities that we um, experience in, in, our, in our life is that we are always trying to find something to do where we are finding a peace and kind of calm with the world around us. And what we are saying in this series is that the thing that we're pursuing, kind of that peace and that um, right standing before God and one another, has already been accomplished for us through Christ's work on the cross. That he did for us the thing, the very thing that we're trying to pursue in all of our efforts to get better at and be stronger at and be wiser at and be whatever at, to be better at. Jesus has already done it for us. And our role is by faith, trust in what he's already done, that he did it. Now, the reason I showed you that clip at the beginning here is not just to wake you up and get you going. Not that, but because our world is one, indeed, in which we hate excuses, right? Yeah? I mean, if you heard some of those excuses from this guy, and I forget his name now, but what did he say there? My tummy hurts. I don't, I don't have a good coach. It's a Monday. It's a Tuesday. It's a Wednesday. I can't do it here. I, I'll get to it later. I just can't right now. I bruise easily. Um, you know, what else did he say? I'm bloated. I have gas. I've got a date. Uh, what else is he saying? My favorite show is on. Uh, some of the other things that he said. And finally, you know, the, the pinnacle of it all, and you felt that in that moment as he slams the balls down on the ground and says, my feet hurt. And then you see the reality of his life. And he turns around and goes, and you're like, hmm. No excuses. Time to go buy Nike stuff. And that, that's kind of what they want you to do, because that's what they represent. But in reality, we feel that, don't we? We resonate with, with people who are no excuses kind of people. We resonate with people who are just get the job done, no excuses kind of people. And inversely, we hate those who, not hate, personally hate, but we really hate excuses. We really hate when people are saying, there's a job to do and you don't do it. For my, my purposes this morning, when I talk about an excuse, I'm talking about 
there's a responsibility that you have or that I have, and here's this responsibility. And in the excuse, I take that responsibility that's mine, and I take it and I put it over here and blame it on someone or something else. So here's one of my favorite, all-time favorite excuses, ready? I didn't have enough time. As if, as if somewhere out there, there's a gifter of time. And the great gifter of time in the universe gifts certain people with more time than others. And if only I had been gifted with more time, then I would have, I would have done it. To which I say, no, the responsibility is yours. What you want to say instead of I didn't have time is I didn't make the time. Or you can say I overcommitted and I'm sorry, I told you I could, but I didn't. I did not get it done. I overcommitted. I am responsible. I'm not taking my responsibility and putting it over here on somebody else. Now, there are, there are times in our society where excuses are necessary, like school or work. If you're sick and you get a doctor's excuse and you turn that in and you kind of get um, a free pass. But wouldn't it be nice in life if we had... Um, like in Monopoly, they have a get-out-of-jail-free card. Wouldn't it be nice to have an excuse card that, that someone could write for you and you could use at just the right time? Where you, you show up on the job and your employees who work for you, they're supposed to get that thing done Friday and you know it's Sunday today and tomorrow you're going to go back to the job and it's not going to be done. And wouldn't it be nice just to have an excuse card and give it to, the, to your customer and say, here's why. And they're like, hey, that's fine. It's, that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. We all have one. You just use yours. That's fine. That's fine. Wouldn't it be nice to have one of those cards to give to your wife or your husband almost any day of the week? Say, sorry, I didn't do that and didn't do this and didn't do that. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to have an excuse card like that to give to a boyfriend or girlfriend when you miss something that you should have, should have had? Or, uh, or really a friend when you failed to kind of walk with them and support them at a certain time and you just forgot about whatever? To have an excuse card that they look at and honor like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? There's bad news and good news in the study that we've been in uh, over the past couple of weeks. And this morning, uh, with this whole concept of excuses, we're going to start to talk about some bad news uh, instead of the good news. And what I want to say this morning is that essentially, before God, there's no such thing as an excuse card. Before our God, there's no such thing as an excuse card. He doesn't take them. And what I want to say is I... As I deliver this message to you this morning, and as, as you interact with me, even just verbally or non-verbally, um, this is a harder message for me to deliver to you uh, for a couple reasons. And, and one is the content of what I have to say is not um, very popular. It's what I want to say and what I think is right here within our, the scriptures this morning is that we're going to talk about a characteristic of God that we normally don't talk about. And so whenever that happens, when we kind of look at something that we normally don't talk about, there's often misunderstanding and confusion about that. That's why we don't talk about it a lot. So that's part of this morning. The other part is that I want to be as clear with you as I can that I am, I am not, and I think you'll understand this as I go, I am not interested in being in a position above you and talking about this this morning, but being next to you in talking about this this morning. That I am not interested in lording it over you in any way, but in speaking next to you as a brother um, in Christ here, as someone who's walking along in this journey of humanity with you, who struggles with this very reality about who God is, uh, myself, and this, the realities, the implications of what we're going to read this morning. So I want to kind of lay that out there. 
Last week, if you were here with us, we talked about God revealing to us righteousness uh, from heaven. The righteousness um, from heaven has been revealed, and that is that the righteousness that comes by faith, Jesus Christ, is revealed. Last week was good news. God has revealed to us the righteousness by faith. He did it. Jesus did it. That's good news. Today, we take that, and we're going to flip the coin on the other side. There was something revealed last week, righteousness. There's something else revealed this week, and that's kind of the quote-unquote the bad news. So to find that and to get there, turn in your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you in the pew around you. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you to have and to take from here and to read and engage um, and interact with and find the life of God, as we say, within those pages. Romans chapter 1, you'll find the book of Romans by going to about the back third of your Bible, and you'll see in the New Testament it begins with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Then there's a book called Acts, which essentially tells the story of the early church from the Gospels on, and then after that you'll find the book of Romans. And Romans is a book that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was a follower of Jesus, he wrote to the church in Rome. He had never been to these people yet. Uh, to see them, but he wants to come to them. He has an affection for them. He has a longing to see them. And he's writing to them about kind of what they need to understand about how to keep their vision and their mission um, focused on who God is as they bring the church together from Gentile and Jewish roots, okay? So Romans 1, we're covering three verses, verses 18 to 20. And here we begin in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. This is a, a message that reveals to us the wrath of God. For the wrath of God, the verse 18 begins, the wrath of God is being revealed against, from heaven, excuse me, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. When we think about the wrath of God, we think, first of all, when you think of that word, I, I don't know what you think of, but I tend to think of um, my human experience with wrath. I tend to think of um, movie clips that I've seen or TV shows in which you talk about the word wrath and you think, I mean, immediately, well, we never use that word in our language except when someone is out of control, crazy angry, right? I mean, they are punitive, they are ready not just to, to uh, bring justice, but to punish as well, just for the fun of punishing. They have gone kind of out of control, they've gone AWOL, and they are bringing the wrath of, of whatever against somebody, the wrath of God. And so when Paul opens up and he says to the, the Romans and then to us, hey, the wrath of God is from being revealed from heaven, our first reaction to it as a society and as individuals whoa, is, is very strong. Like, hey, does he really mean wrath? Does he mean maybe like dissatisfaction or maybe like mm, unhappiness of God? You know, is that a better way to put that? And really what is being communicated with this word is not an uncontrollable anger, but rather um, 
the punishment that often comes, like when a parent says to a child, listen, we're about to eat dinner, don't put your hand in the cookie jar. No cookies before dinner. And then mom walks out and comes back in, and there's Junior with the hand in the cookie jar. What should happen in a loving home? Right? You should eat one too as a parent. You're like, man, those are good. Let me have one too. In a loving home, in a loving home, discipline needs to happen for clear disobedience. I mean, that's, that's, that's helpful and right. Not because you love the discipline process, but because you know if this child doesn't understand authority within the home, they're not going to understand authority anywhere. And and it's my job as a parent to train that in them. And so you could say then the wrath of mom is revealed from on high against Junior who put her hand in the cookie jar, his hand in the cookie jar. The discipline right discipline is not just the right thing to do, but is the most loving thing to do. And this is what is the image behind the wrath of God, that the wrath of God that is the justifiable anger of God that is directed under control, but against something that it should be directed against. Now, to be truthful, there's almost none of us, in fact, I can't remember in the history of my Um, experience, let's say even on Facebook, where anyone has ever waxed eloquent in a positive way about the wrath of God. Can you imagine a Facebook status that that comes out on, you know, tomorrow morning when people are waking up for work and, you know, someone someone is going to say, I've got a case of a Monday, uh, a case of Mondays tomorrow morning. And you're going to laugh because you saw this commercial this morning. But but I've never seen anybody wake up, man, I'm just so Monday, I'm so grateful for the wrath of God this this week. And it's going to motivate me for an awesome week to know that God is a wrathful God. I've never bought a Hallmark card with the wrath of God being the primary focus of the Hallmark card. I mean, we just don't do that, do we? I've never heard a wedding message about the wrath of God. You ever hear that? We, we, we just, when do you ever hear about the wrath of God? Right? Right. And, and this is the other side of the coin. Two things, back-to-back verses are being revealed. Verse 17, the righteousness of God is being revealed. But on the back side of that comes verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed. And here's what I want to say about that. The wrath of God is a great mercy of God. I want to say that again because I think that's important. The wrath of God is a great mercy of God. Because think about this. What if there were no such thing as the wrath of God? What if, what if there was no ultimate authority in this universe? All that my life and your life should be logically reduced to is um, hedonism and a, a nihilistic approach to life that says, who cares about anything? There's no accountability. Evil will be unrestrained. There's no hope because there is no ultimate authority. The wrath of God is actually a great mercy for us. It gives our entire lives a great focus and purpose. Not that we think about it that way, but it is exactly what it does for us. The wrath of God reminds us that when we see evil moving and growing and pushing, even from my own heart and even from your own heart, that there is a great mercy of God that says, I am still in charge here. I have the authority to bring accountability to this world. Our greatest enemy, which some of our families have experienced this week, is death in humanity. Our greatest enemy that we cannot conquer is death. We were not created to die. Sin brought that into our world. 
the accountability that we see, the wrath of God is being revealed so that all evil, including death, will one day be done away with. If we don't have the wrath of God, we don't have any hope for any, any future beyond this life. The wrath of God is kind of that overarching reminder to us of the great mercy of God that he is still ultimately in charge and in control of this world. I may not like it all the time. I may not like that I can't put my hand in the cookie jar whenever I want to, but it is right and good that God is in control of this world and at times has to reach with his wrath to punish and move. Now, why does Paul introduce this here? What does he say about that? Check out verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Um, Okay, the question is, uh, for what purpose. You know, well, why does he do this? And, and the text goes on in verse 18, against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Okay, interesting. Some translations translate that unrighteousness, whatever. Okay, so against all the unrighteousness, God's righteousness comes against the unrighteousness. God's godliness comes against ungodliness. Against all of this stuff, it comes against all godlessness and wickedness of men. Now, the question is, who are these people? Who are the godless and wicked among us? Think about that for a minute. Who would you say? Don't say it. Don't say it. Hypothetical. Clarify that. Who would you say are the godless and wicked among us? You know, are they the people behind bars? Are they the boss? You know? The in-laws? No. Right? And I think you know where I'm going here. Obviously, the 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 funnel starts really wide, like, oh, Hitler, clearly Hitler would be really bad. Let's put Hussein in there. Let's put anybody else who's for genocide in that category, okay? Now, let's kind of bring that filter down, that funnel down a little bit, and it starts to point to what you and I already know and both know is that this, this verse points to me and to you and to any and every time that I have chosen wrong over right. Anytime that I've chosen unrighteousness over righteousness. Anytime that I've chosen godlessness over godliness. That against that part of me, the wrath of God, the discipline of God is being revealed from heaven against all, because of that word all, it means you guys know that, all the ungodliness, godlessness, and unrighteousness, the wickedness of man's heart. That has to, by default, include me and include you. This is all of us. So the question is why? Why is he kind of bringing this focus in our lives? The, the verse continues. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness? Who suppress the truth? This is the why. That word suppress means kind of to hold back. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine if you had the ability to create a world for a minute, okay? And imagine you could create people who are about the size of your index finger. And you could create, you created two people, um, uh, a male finger and a female finger, okay? And you, you created that. And they lived in this little world that was, let's just say, the size of our, our stage up here. You, you created them, and you created them, and in, in this little world that you created, you were able to make them, and you gave them um, a basic command, and that is eat and drink only that which is blue. Because in eating and drinking blue things, you will become blue. And what I want for you as my creatures is to become blue. But you also know that there are some people who like Mountain Dew in this world. And they have put together in their store, which is now in your world, they have yellow stuff. 
in your world that you wanted to kind of be blue. And you told your little people that you made, your little finger people, eat and drink blue stuff and you will, you will stay blue and turn blue because this is what I want you to look like and be like. But then somewhere along the line, they kind of meet, you know, male blue finger and female blue finger meet and they start to have other little fingers in this world, other little people. And your world starts to reproduce and there's all these little people in your world. It's kind of fun to watch them and they're, they're eating and drinking blue things and then somewhere along the line, one of them goes to fi- and they find out about Mountain Dew. And they're like, that's yellow. That's yellow. And you know Mountain Dew will kill you. Like you shouldn't have yellow stuff because you know in your world that you created, yellow is, is bad and wrong. That will ultimately lead to death. But, but blue things are good and healthy. And so ultimately, over time, here's what happens. And you know this would happen because there's people who like blue stuff and like the other thing, but then there's always people who are going to kind of push and push and they're going to go over here and they're going to try just because it sounds good. They're going to try Mountain Dew. They're going to try other things that are yellow. And what happens, you know this, right? What happens when we mix yellow with blue? We get a, a shade of green, some kind of green deal. Over time, you have your little world that you intended to be blue and you allowed for some yellow to be in there, but you told them, no, 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 just do the blue thing. Over time, families develop, structures develop where you have systems of families meeting together and they have other kids and then they get dogs for some reason and then they do all kinds of things. Um, and they, uh, over time, you see a kind of a blue family, and they have an uncle, you know, an uncle, uncle John. And Uncle John, for whatever reason, Uncle John has liked Mountain Dew for a while, and he's still kind of okay. But you know, and your kids know, when Uncle John comes over, he doesn't quite look like it. I mean, he's, he's not blue. He's kind of that off, kind of pukey green color, because he's mixed the yellow in with his blue. And your kids, your little, your little kids, start to look at Uncle John, and they're like, what is wrong what is wrong with Uncle John? I mean, he seems okay, but he's drinking the dew, and that's kind of, kind of, I don't know, he's, he's still alive. He's kind of doing okay. And over time, your kids are like, oh, yeah, he's doing, he's doing, he's okay, and he's okay. And mom and dad fingers are saying, no, 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 only eat and drink blue. And you're like, yeah, well, what about Uncle John? He's doing the dew. I mean, can I, can I do that? And here's what happens. Over time, the truth, if you have made this world, the truth of what you want for these little people that, that are living in your little world Blue will lead to life. And then people go about and they start drinking yellow stuff and walk around and doing yellow stuff and they they get kind of halfway green and it begins to confuse the little people in your world who are trying to figure out, what should I do? I'm confused. I think, I'm just a little finger on the stage, I think whoever made me wants me to eat and drink blue, but what I see around me Uncle John, he's kind of green and looks different, but he's okay. And the truth of what you want, of what will bring life, gets confused in the midst of living in this little stage world in which we live. And this is where God says, the wrath of God is revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do exactly that, who suppress the truth about God. Because every time I choose and every time you choose to do something against what God wants, I'm taking in the do, so to speak, and I'm changing what God has designed me to reflect to you. He's created me to reflect his image to you, and I'm taking in the things I shouldn't be, and I'm sending a message to you that is confusing you about who in the world God is and what in the world God wants for your life. 
And this is why the judgment and the discipline of God comes for those of all of us who suppress the truth, who confuse the truth about God, who says, this is life. And in our disobedience, we communicate a message that says, hey, we know God is love, but we don't love you very well. Hey, God is a generous God, but I can't be generous with my time or my resources with you right now. God is a forgiving God, but you've gone one step too far. And every time we choose disobedience over obedience, we are, we are suppressing the truth about our God. And this is why the wrath, the discipline, the authority of God has to come to keep that truth about himself. For since, verse 19 continues, for since the creation of the world... Excuse me, since what may be known about God is made plain to them because God made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. In other words, when you and I look around at creation and your little finger people look around on the stage in which they live and they think, boy, there must be an intelligent creator somewhere who made this somehow. Through creation, through what you and I see, we see the invisible, kind of ironic, we see, clearly see, the invisible character qualities of God. We see his power, his divine nature. We see his mystery. We see his beauty. We see the balance. We see his power. We see his strength. We see his care. We see his order. We see his restoration. We see the process of redemption. We see transformation. We see the character of God within what he has made. And the pinnacle of his creation is you and me. Right? Humanity. The pinnacle of creation. He made us, and he's like, that's very good. It's very good. They're going to be in my image. You and I have the capability of speaking truth about God. The trees don't. Niagara Falls doesn't, and out west does not. Even though the heavens declare the glory of God, they don't declare it like you and I do. And so what may be known about God has been clearly seen based on what we see. And the final phrase of verse 20 says, so that men are what? Excellent. Try that one more time. This is the interaction part now. Let's say it together. So that men are? Excellent. So that men are? without excuse. And this is the part that is just hard to wrap our minds around and hard for us really to come to grips with the truth of this. So that men are without excuse. Without excuse for what? And what men? What are they what do they want to be excused from that they can't be excused from? Men are without excuse. And as we look at the passage, verses 18 to 20, we see, okay, men are without excuse because you cannot, you cannot, I don't care who you are, you you cannot come to God and and ever say to him, God, listen, um, I know I kind of heard a little bit about you and and I've been kind of searching for a little bit, but, you know, honestly, if you would have given me a better dad, my world would be very different and I probably would have believed in you because I would have felt better about a father figure you know, honestly, God, you know, I, it's been tough. We just don't make enough money, and we're kind of trying to make ends meet. And, uh, and honestly, I just spent a lot of time trying to provide for families, and that's what I'm supposed to do. 
And I mean, I, I really didn't make a lot of time to really figure out who you were because I was just trying to survive. And maybe if you would have given me more money and given me more resources, maybe I could have, you know, had time to know you, right? And maybe, God, if somehow my marriage was better and maybe if my family didn't get sick and maybe somehow, God, if in my world that things were a little more balanced, maybe if my kids would have listened to me, then they would have, things would have been better here, right? And maybe if, then I would have. And God says here through Paul, so that men are without excuse. So, so here's the difficulty of this. The wrath of God, the judgment, the discipline of God, the right punishment and discipline and order in this world is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness that's in my heart and yours because we suppress the truth of God whenever we do that. Whenever we choose the wrong over right, we confuse the message about who God is. So God's order and discipline has to come to my life and yours. So that result being so that men are without excuse. And so two people here this morning, two kinds of people. Some here this morning are listening to this later online. You're, you're, you're legitimately trying to figure out who in the world is this God? Who, who is a savior that you claim to, to hold up? And the reality of this message is, at the end of the day, God has revealed himself. What, what can be known about God has been made known through all that we see. His divine nature, his eternal power has been revealed so that we're, we're all without excuse. And so if you are trying to figure that out, there is time and relationship with us. We are, we are happy to have you and to engage with you and listen with you and walk with you. We've been on journeys. You're on a journey. We're, you're, your story matters to us. Where you're at matters. At the end of the day, however, if you go to your grave and say, God, I, if I would have just had another year or if I could have just had another book written or if I could have, if I could have th- the reality is men are without excuse. Excuse cards don't work with God. There is no such thing. For those of us who have said, yeah, I believe in this God. I want to follow him and serve him with my life. Here's what this means for for us. And that is that we have a a unique um, both obligation and opportunity to become aware of this fact that that when we choose, when we choose um, disobedience over obedience, when we choose compromise uh, over flat out commitment to our God, when we choose a a middle ground, a mediating ground between being zealous for our faith in our Lord and being kind of, we're not as passive as them, but we're just kind of, we're safe. When we we choose that, that kind of middle ground, that kind of compromise, even sometimes to be honest, right, to be, we we choose, we're choosing sin and being kind of okay with that because we think others are as well. Um, When we're choosing that and landing in that middle kind of murky lack of life, lack of joy, lack of passion, lack of enthusiasm, lack of life giving anything, when we're living in that, we are suppressing the truth of a life giving God. We're doing that. We're absolutely doing that. We're sending a message that, hey, it's okay, it's okay. Go drink the dew. It's okay. You can be kind of green. Everyone's totally blue. Just kind of take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's okay. We, we are suppressing the truth about God because God has 
what is available to be known about God has been made known through creation, of which we are the pinnacle, the image bearers of God. And as we walk, as we step, we say, we want to reflect to this world the truth about who God is. And so, two things to say. Number one, excuse cards don't work with God. I've said that one already, right? And then secondly, this. This goes back to our first core value statement we talk about as a church. We talked about this last week, and it's very applicable today. That when we talk as a church, we say we want to live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. I'm going to kind of keep saying that because it's important. We live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. And here's our part, guys. Here's our part. If you, if you this morning have said, listen, I want to follow God. I believe in Jesus. Now what do I do? What do you do? Live fearlessly. Forgive generously. Speak openly. And when we don't do that, when we live fearfully, we're saying, I've got to control my world. I've got to do it just right. This whole reality of this series in Romans is telling us, Jesus already did it. He already achieved for you the righteousness and peace that you want. You don't, I know you don't want to share your story. You don't want to share your sin. You don't, want to, you don't want to talk to someone else about what you're really feeling because you think they might think less of you. Who cares? That just tells you your peace is in the wrong place. Your peace is in what I can do and what I can control. Living fearlessly says I'm going to live fearlessly and trust that this community will forgive me generously when I step on your toes and when I say that thing that I shouldn't say, that I can speak openly to you, not because I have it figured out, but because Jesus already accomplished my peace and righteousness. So what do we do? We don't try to say, okay, now I'm going to be more obedient, be more faithful, I'm going to get this figured out, and I'm going to pull up my bootstraps, I'm going to go, go, go. What we need to do is live fearlessly, share openly, speak openly, and forgive as a community generously. And that might mean for you, okay, now I really do need to talk to my husband, I really need to talk to my wife. I need, we're going to have a small group later. I need to, in my small group, ask for prayer for this issue. I need to call my friend, I need to write the email, I need to step into the area that I know I need to change because my sin and my compromise is suppressing the truth about God. It's confusing my kids when I'm not a leader at home. It's confusing my coworkers when they see me kind of sliding into the, the, mm, the mediocre culture of my business. It's that's sending them the message that that's kind of how my God is. And I don't want to do that. I'm not just going to try harder. I'm going to speak openly to an accountability friend, someone who can help me, and I'm going to trust in my God to live fearlessly. Jesus has already accomplished all the righteousness we need. The more that I try to control my life and say, I'm going to get it right, I'm going to get it right, I'm going to get it right, the more I'm going to clam up, pull back, and hide from you. And the more I'm going to reveal my God his power is going to be made perfect in my weakness. We live fearlessly. We forgive. We forgive. We forgive generously. We speak openly. Our God doesn't take excuse cards at the end of the day. He doesn't. Hey, why didn't you ever confess that sin? Well, I don't, didn't have time. Why didn't you trust your spouse? I just didn't trust them. Well, why didn't you raise your kids the way you know you needed to? I just didn't. Why didn't you live intentionally singly the way you knew you should? I just didn't have it. No excuse cards. No excuse cards. No excuse cards. Let's pray. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come through to the end of a difficult passage about your wrath. 
about your discipline and your judgment. And it is difficult to understand how this all works, but we do know that at the end of the day, you're a God who is in charge and in control of our world. That your wrath reminds us that you are the ultimate authority in this world, that evil will be punished, that there is accountability for this world in which we live and for the choices that I make for how I live. And so I pray for us now. Pray for the men and women, the boys and girls, the, the, the young men and women who are sitting here and will be listening to this later online. I pray for courage for us, God, that the truth of our value statement here would come through to us where there is a step that we just know we have to take a step of obedience, a step toward passion, a step toward love, a step toward commitment, a step toward living freely before you. And that is a difficult step when we want to kind of hold our cards close to the vest and live quietly and live carefully, live deliberately so that people don't see too much of our stuff. And in the middle of that, God, we know that your power is made perfect in our weakness. And we even know As this song says, as we sing this to conclude, this song that has been sung for generation upon generation upon generation, that your grace is amazing because it has the power to transform us from fearful, solitary controllers to fearless men and women who without concern for our well-being step into areas of responsibility that we know we need to take so that others can see the truth of your restoration, the truth that you are forgiving God, the truth that you don't save perfect people, but that we're all broken before you, which will never be seen if we keep playing it close to the vest. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, God, for your amazing grace that transforms and renews all of us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.